Hey church, so good to be with you here today. My name is Colin and I am the director of middle school ministries here at the Tapestry Church. And so I get to work with um, grade sixes to grade nines in particular, but then also with grade tens to twelves. And, um, oh, I said that wrong. Grade six to eight and then nine to twelve I also get to work with. <laughs> wow, that's scary. Um, being able to work with youth is a, is a joy and it's a privilege for me. And oftentimes I get to ask them um, a lot of questions and I get to hang out with them and spend a lot of time with them. And so one of the questions that I get to ask kids a lot, young people, is the very simple question when I get to see them during the week. And that is, how are you doing? How's your week been? Very often, I'm, what I'm starting to find is I'm getting a very similar answer. And that answer is, I'm good. I'm just busy or I'm okay just tired and I always think to myself you're 11 years old what are you busy with and so as I talk to them I'm hearing very similar things you know I'm busy with school soccer volleyball mathnasium You like that. <laughs> Come on, all these kind of things. There are so many things that young people are being burdened with. Isn't that scary? And just as it is for young people, they're plagued with this busyness or this need to do, I think you and I also struggle with that, don't we? How often have we worked ourselves into situations where we're in too deep? Where we struggle to find the balance between work life, home life, our hobbies, friendships. We've idolized busyness and hurry to a point where we become known as a burnout culture. In his book, The Burnout Society, the author describes people in the Western world like this. Get this. They are too alive to die and too dead to live. They are too alive to die and too dead to live. How many of us here live with this heaviness, this burden on our shoulders where we feel too alive to die but too dead to live? How many of us are left wondering, is this the way that God intended for me to live my life. So do you feel burdened? Do you feel heavy? Do you feel numb? Or like there's a cloud hanging over your head? Me too. This is just for me as this is for you. God has been convicting me through this passage in Isaiah, and I'm hoping, and I'm praying, and I'm believing that God is going to speak to you through this passage just as he's been speaking to me. So our passage of today comes from Isaiah 46, and it talks about one of the biggest burdens that we people carry, and that is the burden of idols. This is such an important conversation for the culture and the society that we're living in. So let's dive in together. But to get our brains a little bit refreshed, I know last week we read the Chan Center. Chu took us out of our uh, series in Isaiah. 
and uh, we went into Exodus, but today we're back in Isaiah, and uh, I want us to remember that Israel is God's chosen people, and they were in a period of time known as the Babylonian exile. And the Babylonian exile was a period of time where God was displaying his judgment on his people for being unfaithful to him. And so now, our point in the story, the Israelites are coming out of exile. Israel's sin has been dealt with. And God is ushering them into a new time where God is going to usher in a kingdom and a time of hope. But after 40 years of being in exile, and I don't know, this, this seems like I associate with this, Israel is saying, God has abandoned us. God has neglected us, and maybe God isn't as powerful as we thought. So, what do they do? They turn to idols. They turn to these Babylonian gods instead. And through chapters 41 to 47, they're set up as God responds to all the accusations that Israel has about him. So we're jumping in at Isaiah 46, and it's going to be up on the screen, and it goes like this. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I've upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and they carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Even though somebody cries to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me. You stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness, I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor 
to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're going to be tackling the passage like this. First, we're going to talk about the gods that people carry. Then we're going to talk about the people that God carries. And then we're going to finish up with how this passage leads us to respond. So first, we're talking about the gods that people carry. Then the people that God carries. And then we're going to end with how we respond in light of this passage. Okay? So first, the gods that people carry. So the whole beginning of this passage is really set up as an opportunity to look at the Babylonian gods that Israel has turned towards and then contrast them with God himself. This section section is about God's superiority and his power over these false gods. So it starts off with these two Babylonian gods, Bel and Nebo, and the imagery of these two false gods being brought low says this, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. So when I first read this passage, I could see that there was a lot of imagery, right? There's a lot of pictures for us to see. Um, But actually, I had a really difficult time picturing it. And only when I like read more in depth and I kept um, marinating through it, uh, I got a good picture of what it looked like. Um, and I know that one of the things that our lead pastor, Al Chu, likes to do is he likes to, like, pull up, um, you know, paintings of, like, different famous artists, like Rembrandt and artists and other artists. And, um, and so uh, I thought to myself, oh, that's such a great idea because then we can look at the picture together, get a better understanding together. And so I did a little Google image search, right? Um, Isaiah 46, Google images, nothing. So... I was like, ah, we really need a picture. And so I took the liberty of drawing a picture for you. So this is my picture. And uh, I hope that this can help you see what's what's going on. So there's these two idols. So you see Bell is pointing to the little sideways structure. And uh, Nebo is in the back. And um, they're being carried on burdened animals, turned sideways because they are in defeat. So... Um, And we can notice that these animals, um, as it says, weary and burdened, um, these are tired animals. And so that's the first thing I want you to notice. These idols cannot carry themselves. People carry false gods. They carry those false gods. And those gods become heavy and they become burdensome. Maybe the reason that we are living in a burnout culture is because we have been carrying our false gods. And we are starting to feel the weight of them on us. And it's starting to take its toll. And I think this makes a lot of sense, really. I remember when I was in high school, we can put the picture down so that people don't have to look at a scarring picture for too long. I remember when I was in high school... The one thing that I made, well, one of the many things um, that I made my idol was popularity. And um, I had to be the coolest, well-known person in high school, so I joined all the sports teams. I joined all the clubs. I made sure I was liked by everyone. I had to have the perfect hair. I had to have the latest clothes in order to be popular. You know, at first it wasn't a big deal. It doesn't feel tiring or exhausting keeping up these appearances. 
But after a few weeks, a few months, a few years, with different trends coming in, more responsibilities on my plate, trying to keep up your appearances um, and your popularity with your friends became impossible. You try, but you fail. You lose friends, you hurt people, and you're left wondering why you chased popularity in the first place. That was my experience with it. Popularity for me became an idol. And that idol failed me. For a temporary moment, I have to be honest, it felt great. But it didn't last because it never does. It just became a heavy burden that I carried until I couldn't carry it anymore. Popularity was my idol. But anything can be an idol. Balance. Happiness, stability, family, your church, money, anything can be an idol. An idol is described as this. An idol is anything that can come to replace God in our lives. I'll say that again. An idol is anything that can come to replace God in our lives. So, this brings me to verse 2. It says, Bell and Nebo stoop down together, unable to rescue the burdened, and are carried off into captivity. So the imagery here is of these two gods in embarrassment and defeat. They have lost the battle, and they're being taken away as spoils of war. This verse in Isaiah is here to show us and show the Israelites that these false gods are and always will be defeated and powerless. Just like popularity failed me, false gods will always fail people. These idols that we carry cannot lift our burdens, and they pile on burden on our backs until we're crippled and we can't bear it any longer, and then we fall, just as these idols have fallen. We carry our own false gods, and they always fail us. They always lose to the one God who is far superior than any of these idols. This is the God that doesn't need to be carried, but instead this is the God who carries us. So, the people that God carries. There's a running theme throughout these first four verses. And it's this theme of carrying. And it's been tying all of these verses together. In complete contrast to the first few verses that talk about how people are the ones who carry their own idols or their own false gods, we are shown a God who has been carrying and lifting up His people since the very beginning. So remember, Israel has lost faith in their God. And they've turned to these other idols. And God is saying, hey, you carry your idols, but I am the one who carries you. In verse 3, it says this, Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I've upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. 
I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. In these four verses, or these two verses, there are four things that God reminds Israel about who he is. And so we're going to take a look at those. These are really important. The first thing that God reminds Israel is that he is their creator. He calls back to the birth of Israel, the birth of people. And in verse 4, he says this, I have made you. God is our creator, and he has been there since our birth, since the very beginning. And this is in contrast to the idols that we have created by our own accord. God is the creator. The second thing that God reminds Israel is that he is their carrier. He is the one who has been carrying them since the very beginning. He has carried, he is carrying, and he will carry his people. This is in contrast to the idols who cannot carry themselves, but need to be carried by people. God is our carrier. The third descriptor of God is that he is their sustainer. He has sustained his people by providing for them. He's provided for them in the wilderness. He has provided for them through slavery and through hardship. And this is put in opposition to the idols who need to be sustained by people. Fed by people. Worshipped by people. We worship these idols by giving them time and energy. And that sustains these idols. God is the sustainer. Finally, God says that he is their rescuer. The idols, the false gods, get carried off in defeat. They have lost. They cannot rescue themselves from that defeat because God is the one who rescues. God is the one who saves. God is the one who delivers. This is such a good reminder for us. God reminds Israel who he is, and God is reminding us, you and I today, who he is. God is the creator, he is the sustainer, and he is the carrier, and he is the rescuer and savior of his people. This is in complete contrast to the gods that need to be carried. God is the one who carries his people, and this is not a temporary carrying. God says to Israel, from your birth to all the way to when you are old with gray hair, God is the sustainer, creator, carrier, and rescuer of his people. God has not let you down. Not before, not now, and not ever. When I was younger, there was this very special book um, that parent, my parents used to read to me. Um, and I think it's a book that maybe a lot of us here are familiar with. Um, it starts with a mother carrying her newborn son. And she's sitting in a rocking chair, and she whispers to him, I'll love you forever, I'll love you for always, and as long as I'm living, my baby will be. And then this infant becomes older, becomes a toddler, starts making a mess. But still, as he goes to sleep in his crib, she sits outside his door and whispers into his room, I'll love you forever, I'll love you for always, and as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And then this boy becomes a teen, and then he becomes an adult, 
And eventually he gets his own house that's all the way across town. So what does the mom do? At night, she gets in her car, she drives across town, goes into his room, picks up this full-grown adult and puts him in her lap, carries him and says, I love you forever, I love you for always, and as long as I'm living, my baby will be. Isn't this a great picture of the way that God carries you and I? From infancy to childhood, God places us in his arms and reminds us, reminds us of his endless and boundless love for you and I. So to sum up, let's look at this chart that compares and contrasts false gods and gods. In verse 1, it says, idols are created by humans, but God creates people. Idols need to be carried, but God carries people. Idols need to be sustained, but God sustains people. Idols cannot rescue themselves, and that is because God is the one who rescues people. Look and see how God is breaking down these false Babylonian gods attribute by attribute. And he's reminding his people who he is. God is proving to his people that he is the one who is superior. He is the one that they should put their trust in. For Israel, their gods were Bel and Nebo. But for us today, what are the idols that we create? What are the idols that we carry? And burden ourselves with. It was about two weeks ago, and um, we had one of our youth nights here at the tap on a Thursday night. We had a game that went pretty wild because we thought of it last minute, pretty classic. We had some worship, and I preached a message that was very underprepared. And then we ended in some okay small groups. Typical night. But this time, something felt a little bit different. There was a heaviness over the whole night. Leaders seemed a little bit out of it. And, um, you know, sometimes there's nights where, where people can just be off, and it's just like one of those nights, and then you just shake it off. Um, but this was not a night that it felt like was one that we could just shake off. Um, there was a really strong heaviness, and it's something that I could definitely feel. So we sat down with the leaders, actually, right here, um, and uh, I asked in our debrief, how are you doing really? And as they began to share, one by one, we hear these words. Tired, exhausted, frustrated, obligated, feeling like an elastic band just waiting to snap. And as each leader shared, it didn't feel like it was the ministry being challenged or put in question. In that moment, it was about me. It was about the way that I led. It was about the person who I was that was leading these leaders to burnout. I couldn't shake my own identity from the ministry. One leader asked a question back at me, and it caught me off guard. Paul, how are you feeling? 
I responded and I said, I'm exhausted and I actually have no idea how to lead you. So we sat there in silence for a while. And all I could think about was how I had just poured my heart into this ministry for the last four years. Every week, every spring retreat, every game, every conversation. This was my heart transformed into a ministry and it had become my idol. I had been carrying it for years and it just became so heavy. And I didn't realize until two weeks ago that it had crippled me. Youth ministry has been my idol, and God brought that to, its, to my complete attention. I realized that my personal well-being was wrapped up in the success of the ministry. When I felt like the ministry was going well, my life was going well. I worshipped youth ministry with my time. I worshipped youth ministry with my energy. I spent more time thinking about the ministry than I did thinking about God or being with God. I worked on the youth ministry harder than I worked on my own personal relationship with God. What was supposed to be the avenue for young people to come and encounter God had become my God. I had my hand in creating Tap Youth. I have been carrying it alongside my leaders. I have been sustaining it and worshiping it. And if I'm really honest, I've probably tried to rescue it in some way, shape, or form. Youth ministry was my idol. So what is your youth ministry? What is your idol? And more importantly, what do we do about it? Thankfully, Isaiah gives us the solution. After all, this is supposed to be a message or an announcement of hope. There are two imperative verbs that we are naturally drawn to in this passage, and the first of which is to listen. In both, both verses 3 and verse 12, it says, listen. God wants Israel to listen to his voice. And we need to listen for God's voice in the midst of this day and age. John Mark Comer puts it this way in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input that we most need. The noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input that we most need. And every moment we hear the noise of the modern world, the noise of that text message from your friend, the noise of your Korean drama, the noise of a commercial on the radio, and even the noises that we don't hear, the noise of anxiety, the noise of depression. We hear this noise all the time. But when was the last time that you heard the voice of God? When was the last time you stopped, went into a place of silence and solitude just to wait and listen for the voice of our God? Because when we are at our worst, 
when we are burdened with idols, when we're weary, the one voice that we need to hear is the voice of hope and of victory, and that is the voice of God. You know, this morning, as I was driving here, I was convicted. I was, I was like, I got to practice what I preach. And so I'm going to spend time driving and listening for God. And so I'm driving, you know, I'm chilling. Um, I have good driving habits most of the time. But I was kind of leaned back, and I had one hand on the wheel. And I said, I'm going gonna to listen to God. And um, I couldn't. Every time that I spent, like, every moment that I was spending, I just kept hearing other things. I kept thinking about my schedule next week. I kept on thinking about um, different conversations that I had over the past week. I kept thinking about different things, and I couldn't stop talking in my own head. I couldn't listen. And I think one of the reasons that I wasn't able to listen is because I wasn't taking on a posture of listening. I learned a few things at my school. This is one of them. I was in a conflict management class, and we learned about posture and um, having an open posture when we listen. And a lot of times that looks like, you know, having an have it sitting up straight, having an open posture, looking eye contact with the person that you're talking to, and um, repeating the things that um, they're saying in order for them to know that you are listening to them. And how often do we get in a proper posture to be able to listen to God? When we want to listen to God, a lot of times it's like an afterthought or like a, a convenience thing. Like for me, I'm like, oh, I'm driving. I can listen to God. But I'm not in a posture to actually listen to God. We need to carve out time in our days. Maybe it's in the morning or maybe it's a time at night to actually pause and listen and get ourselves into a posture to listen to God. So this is the importance of prayer and finding moments in our every day to actually pause and to pray. So spend time with God and listen to his voice. The first response that God calls on his people is to listen. The second response that God calls on his people is to remember. In verses 8 and 9, God calls on his people to remember. To remember the former things, those of long ago. God is calling on his people to remember their history, to remember their past. God is reminding people that he is the beginning and he is the end. And through it all, he has been in control. God is the one to be trusted. God is the one to be in control. And we need that reminder today too. Just like Israel, Israel we are so drawn, we are so attracted to this idea that we are the best people in the world to rule our own lives. We are the best people to figure out how to run a youth ministry. We are the most equipped people to lead our families. We are the people who sh should be in charge. But God reminds us that we are not because He is the most capable. He is the most equipped. And He is the best person to be in control of all things. One way that we can remember all that God has done is through reading our Bibles. Whatever we can do to spend time with God in the Word is going to remind us how faithful God has been to us day in and day out. You've heard it that the Bible is God's love story with His people. 
And sometimes we just need to be reminded how God has loved us. If you've lost your devotional life, if you haven't read the Bible in a long time, it is going to be very worth it. It is so worth it to get that life back. Another way to practice remembering is actually pausing to think about how God has worked personally in your own life. For some of us, maybe there was one big moment or a makeup of a few small ones where we recognize that, hey, God is real. God is moving here in this place. It is so valuable to take some time to think back and remember those moments where God has been faithful to us in our own personal lives. So let's press into listening to God through prayer and remembering God through his word. I'm going to invite the worship team to start coming back up. So let's recap. God shows us through an amazing contrast in verses 1 and 4, 1 to 4, that he is far superior to the Babylonian gods. He reminds his people that he is their creator, their carrier, their sustainer, and their rescuer. Then God puts a call of response on his people to listen for his voice and remember all the former things that he has done for them. So church, put your faith in God. Put your trust in God. Let him be the one to be in control of your life, your families, your work, your ministry, wherever you may be. Let him be the one in charge. He has never let us down and he never will. Remember the God who conquered, who is conquering, and will conquer every idol. Remember that the God that we worship today is far superior than any idol that we could put in his place. He is the one who is worthy of our worship, and he is the one who is worthy of our trust. You know, listening and remembering is what God calls us to do. And that's a very countercultural thing, right? In this midst of a, a burnout culture that's all about doing, 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 God actually tells us to stop, listen, and remember. And I think that this countercultural response is the response that is most needed. Stop, listen, and remember. And our God is not unfamiliar to countercultural, being countercultural, is he? Remember that these idols, how they had to stoop down low and be carried off in defeat, unable to rescue themselves? Jesus did something similar. Jesus stooped down low, but he didn't come to be rescued. He came to rescue. Our God is the God who stooped low in order to save. That is the God that I want to worship. That is the God that I want to follow. So I don't know what your idols are. I don't know what you have replaced God with. Money, happiness, balance, stability, comfort. 
I don't know what it is. But let today be the day that those idols move to the outskirts and God moves back into the middle. Let today be the day that your idols get carried off in defeat and Jesus comes back to the middle, to the center of your life. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living with God not directly in the middle, in the center of my life. I'm tired of God not being directly in the center, in the middle of my ministry. So I'm going to take on a posture, one that looks like surrender. And I'm going to listen, and I'm going to remember how God has been faithful to me. I'm going to wait and wait on Him because I know that with God in the middle and in the center, the healthiest and the best years of my life are yet to come. The healthiest and best years of our ministry is yet to come. The healthiest and best years of our families are yet to come when we put God in the middle and we listen and remember.